terrible. I feel absolutely terrible. I'm Eric Drews, Green and Gold Forever. Um, I'm in Oshkosh. Matt's in lacrosse. Uh, we're not going to be doing a what-if this week. Uh, there's only one thing to really talk about, and that's the debacle that we saw in Seattle last night. Um, we'll have a lot to say about that. I'm not really even sure where to begin, but uh, Matt, what did you think, I guess your very quick reactions when you saw what happened at the end of Monday Night Raw, or I mean uh, Monday Night Football? Uh, um, I, I think... You know, initially after the interception, I thought there's no way they can allow this to stand, and then they went to the booth, and I after they called, you know, that the play on the field was going to stand, I think I sat there staring at my TV for half an hour, <laughs> and and usually after something like that, like, I know you'll be texting me and a bunch of other, my friends will be texting me and, like, all mad, but nobody was texting me, it was just, it was just kind of that feeling where I just sat there just in shock, and I feel like everybody was doing the same thing it's just you don't know what to do you feel like it's not right <laughs> something needs to be done but you don't know what to do about it yeah i i was on the phone with uh, some friends and i get a ton of texts and calls and i think everybody expects me to be the, the resident maniac amongst our our, yeah. fan, our, uh, our group that watches the games together which is true to to some degree uh so i i was talking to different people on the phone but I remember when I saw the, the play right away, um, as soon as they hit the ground and the referees are taking forever to make a decision, I'm like, this game's over. They're going to give it to Seattle. I mean, they're yeah, going to call it, it a double possession. And I wasn't – people were shocked by the overturned uh, call in the booth. I'm like, uh, as soon as that one referee uh, conceded and put his hands up, the one who originally called it an interception, the game was over to me. Yeah, I – and, you know, I, I hate, hate to say it, but it, it just seems like it's because it was in Seattle. You knew that as mm-hmm. soon as they were taking so long to make their decision that it, they were going to be persuaded. And we've seen it with these refs. We see it with regular refs, too, but it's been so much worse with these guys that they'll do. It seems like either they want to please the home crowd or they're scared of the reaction, mm-hmm. you know, of, of calling against them. But it, it's you, as soon as you didn't see any hands coming up. You, you knew what was going to happen, and mm-hmm. after they went to the booth, from what the announcers were saying is that it wasn't reviewable, which today we actually found out oh, it was. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah, it makes us even more upset. But, yeah, at the time, I, you know, after obviously when they went to the booth, I thought it was over because it didn't seem like there was anything they could challenge. But, yeah, that's I guess that's a different story today. Well, you brought that up, and let's just – we're kind of going to be all over the place and kind of random today. Um, it feels like that kind of day. This game deserves that, a very disorganized podcast that doesn't make any kind of sense. So we're going to go right to the, the statement right here since you uh, mentioned it. And they basically – I don't know if people saw it. You can go to Green and Gold Forever Podcast's Facebook page, and uh, we have it linked up there. They basically say that they stand by their decision, and yet they describe in exact detail why the rule book says, with citations from the rule book, why the Packers intercepted the ball, and then says Seattle won, and yeah. it was reviewable. Yeah, I, that, that actually absolutely shocked me. It's, why are you putting the rule on there if it completely disputes what you're trying to get your point across as being that Seattle won? He didn't have any possession of the ball at all. And, and what they say that I kept hearing them saying last night after the game that if you have possession at first and the other guy gains possession afterwards, then it still counts as the first player. Jennings had possession the whole time mm-hmm. until Tate jumps on him after the end. And I think after about two minutes in a scrum there, winds up with the ball with you know seven Seahawks around him after the touchdown was called. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it seems like they're describing exactly why it should have been called the other way. But yet they're saying, you know, this was the right call. They shouldn't have overturned it. 
And and I actually went back and watched it. I hadn't been watching many of the replays today. Uh, you know, had to work and whatnot. But once I got home, I, I went to the DVR and I rewatched that play. And I have to be honest with you that it looked closer than I remember it being on the initial jump when they both went up for it. But the problem is that MD Jennings still has the ball. Golden Tate is like hugging him with one arm. He's got his hand touching it. Where if that's the case, then then every single fumble recovery is simultaneous possession, apparently, and the yeah. offense should never lose a ball. But go, going back to the point is, it actually, when the referees come over, it looked worse. Like, I remembered for some reason, and I kept hearing people say Golden Tate wrestled it away, but he didn't. I don't know if he even ever held the ball on his own at any point during the the, the, the unpiling of the players. I don't feel like he ever had it. I do not know what was possibly going through their mind other than, I want to get out of this stadium without somebody throwing a beer bottle at me. I don't think they cared about who won the game. Yeah, and like you mentioned at first, when they first went up, it was it was kind of close, but as soon as there was any movement, Jennings turned away, pulled the ball away, and all that Tate had was a hand on it, and the other hand was just around Jennings' you know, neck and shoulder. Yeah. And if that's the case, that's the only point I've heard people make all day against this, that that... He had the one hand on it that has to constitute possession. Well, if that's the case, every time a defensive back goes up and gets an interception, all you got to do is just touch the ball with your hand after he's on the ground, and mm-hmm. it's a catch then. Well, and I, gonna... I do believe that the Bears owe the Packers a 2010 NFC North Division Championship package uh, because Calvin Johnson apparently scored a touchdown then, right? Because he had possession for a good two seconds with one hand only. Mm-hmm. Well, oh, I mean, yeah, that's a little right, different. Right. But still, I mean, if we're going to go that close, if, they, if you're touching the ball, I mean, this is... I don't know. I'm just angry, I guess. But, um, yeah, going back to that, I just, I can't believe, and then the pass interference penalty right in front of it, and how that doesn't get called, I'll never know. When Jermichael Finley doesn't hardly get touched and there's a pass interference penalty against him, Sam Shields might be the only guy in history to get called for a pass interference penalty and to give up a game-winning interception for the Seattle Seahawks on the same play in which he was... uh, interfered with uh, from the offensive player. <laughs> I mean, can that guy get a break right now? Yeah, and he actually had an excellent game last night, too. I guess looking at a positive, he was outstanding last night. So, uh, But, yeah, that pass interference was, you know, obviously not should not have been called and then gets shoved over from the back in the end zone. And, and that was, you know, going back to the statement the NFL made, that was the only concession they made, which, if you ask me, is kind of a cheap way out. Everybody knows that should have been an offensive pass interference. Yeah. Uh, but they, you know, didn't concede on the catch at all. So, uh, I guess if so, maybe that makes some Packer fans feel better. I guess it doesn't make me feel any better because there's absolutely no way you could say that that wasn't pass offensive pass interference on mm-hmm. Tate. Well, and the thing too is with that statement where they did concede that that was pass interference, which I kind of expected them to do that, but. I, I never, the, apparently this, I mean, I know this happens every single week where there's a controversial call and they send a letter to the team saying, whoops, our bad. Um, you know, the, probably the most glaring example of this would be the uh, Giants 49ers playoff game in 2002 when the guy got tackled, <laughs> when the yep. field goal snap got screwed up. But I, I was really hoping that the NFL would grow a set and post on their website that basically... Something to the degree of the Packers won the game, it was an interception, the referees screwed it up, but we cannot overturn a call in which we can't take a win away from a team that left the field victorious officially. We just can't do that. We're not going to get into the business where we're overturning our referees. They do the best they can. Sometimes they make mistakes. 
this was a very bad mistake. We acknowledge that it affected the outcome of the game, but we cannot take away a win from a team that fought hard all day. I would have been fine with that. I think they would have done that if it wasn't this whole referee situation going on. I think if it was the regular refs making that kind of a call, I think they would have. But Goodell has to keep, you know, his position of power in these negotiations with the regular referees. Mm -hmm. He's not, regardless of how obvious that call was, he's not going to come out. You know Roger Goodell, you know, he's not going to come out and say that they were wrong. Mm -hmm. He's not going to say that the NFL is wrong. He's going to make it seem like, you know, oh, everything's great with these replacement officials. Yeah. I was kind of thinking that last night as this was going on and thinking, like, What's Roger Goodell going to say about this? I was like, well, you already know that he's not going to admit, admit that this call was wrong mm-hmm. just because of, you know, trying to keep the upper hand on the regular referees and negotiating. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he even watches every game. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, just like, kind of a thought, but he yeah. probably, I was imagining him coming out and being like, oh, yeah, that was a great touchdown run by Russell <laughs> Wilson for a big win for, for the Seattle uh, Seahorns. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. I, I think, uh, yeah, and you're right. They they really can't admit anything beyond what they did because of the risk of giving up any kind of bargaining positioning over to the, the referees union. But you also make it sound like we're a bunch of idiots when you basically describe exactly what we saw and then say, but Seattle still wins. Yeah, um, not not one person agrees, you know, has said today, and watching ESPN all day, listening to radio, not one person has said that that should have went Seattle's way. How is the NFL the only, you know, organization or group of people that is saying that, oh, no, that was the right call? They're the only people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're the only ones standing there, and they just look stupid when that happens. Yeah. Not only does it, they look they look stupid, but... It's like, how dumb do they think we are that they can just explain this whole scenario, basically saying that not only is the rule that you have to have simultaneous possession right at the start to constitute a simultaneous possession, which clearly was not the case, that it was reviewable, and that the commissioner's office has the power to overturn it. It's basically describing that the Packers should win, and then in one sentence, in a one-sentence paragraph, it says, the result of the game is final. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I just, I don't know. Kind of looking back onto it, I made myself a, a little list here, and I came up with four reasons why that could have been called the way it was. Uh, if you want to hear me out here and maybe see if there's one that you agree with the most. And yeah, I'd love to hear them. Keep in mind that none of these are that it was the right call. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, so you know, maybe it's just us being cranky Packer fans. But I feel <laughs> like everybody around the country agrees with us right now. So mm-hmm. uh, my first, my first thought when I saw it. When, and I haven't heard anybody say this all day, but when I keep watching the replays here, and it's, it's on the background right now, I have ESPN on, and they are just streaming it back and forth. Mm-hmm. But when you watch the, the ref come in who was indecisive, he didn't know what he wanted to call, he wasn't calling anything. And you see him look at that back judge referee who comes up and is about to signal that the clock is done and the game is over. Mm-hmm. As soon as he starts putting up his hands, which almost looks like he's going to put his hands up for a touchdown, the other ref is watching him. And as soon as his hands start going up, the other ref then starts putting his hands up. Oh, so okay. I'm kind of thinking he wanted to wait and not be the first one to make the call. I think and they're all like the that, ref. to be honest with you. What's that? I said I think they're all like that, to be honest with you. Yeah, so he, he made it look like he wasn't willing to make the call. He thought the other guy was going to signal a touchdown, so he was going to do it too and make it look like he agreed with them. But then the other ref went a different way, and he was kind of stuck there with his hands God. in the air signaling touchdown. 
uh, it just kind of looks like you see him come in, he's watching the other ref, just seeing what he's going to do, sees the hands start to go up, and that's when he makes that call. And it, it just kind of seemed like he was just waiting for somebody else to do it, and that's why he ended up making that call, whether he you know, wanted to stick with it or not. Mm-hmm. And you know, they knew that they were going to get ripped apart if they overturned it too, so you know, that kind of makes things difficult there. Well, that's why we. One of the reasons that, I mean, we've discussed this kind of, you know, privately for years, where we would be in favor of the booth official being in like NFL Network studios. I mean, he can't use the field evidence anyways. So, so why doesn't he uh, be in a remote location where he's completely uninfluenced by the fans and have the referee phrase an overturned call and put it all on the guy that's remote? Like, say, the booth official has overruled the referees on the field and awarded the game to the Packers so yeah. that those referees can basically say, well, you know, we tried to win one for you, but that guy down in uh, Inglewood, California, just ruined your time. Sorry, we're there with you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't, and I think that they probably will get to that at some point, at least you would hope so. Because, I mean, they talk to that guy anyways, or, a, you know, a separate entity, whether he's in the stadium or, you know, somewhere else. But they usually talk to some guy, and you saw them with the headsets on constantly last night, mm-hmm. talking to somebody, you know, feeding him information. So, uh, I think it'll probably get there at some point, especially if, you know, the home teams keep getting all these calls like this. But And keep this in mind real quick, that uh, we're going to have our say on the replacement referees, but the guy who failed to make the re- proper call in the booth is a full-time guy who's not a replacement referee. That's true. Yep, and they could have been, you know, I'm sure the referees knew that they could overturn the call. I'm sure they were fully aware that they had that option last night, too. So, well, we didn't think that they could. I'm sure they were fully aware that they could have. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, my next one here is, this one is kind of interesting, and, it, and I heard Josh Sitton talking about it today on Jim Rome show, and you watch the replay, and I kind of think that this might be actually pretty feasible, that that ref that called it actually knew that Jennings had the ball, and but for some reason either got his signal mixed up or thought that we were on offense. Because you look at him, he doesn't make a signal until Jennings is almost completely clear of Tate mm-hmm. with the ball, with his arms wrapped around the ball to his chest, with Tate pretty much nothing on the ball. That's when he signals. He's looking right at Jennings, and then he puts up the touchdown signal. So it almost looks like... He forgot who had the ball? Right, he's like, oh, Packers touchdown, and he puts his hands up. And he did he look just... like a tad, ex- just a tad less excited than uh, Pete Carroll from my first uh, viewing, too. Yeah, <laughs> and and it's just like, okay, that would be even worse for him to overturn because he accidentally called a touchdown on an interception, so again, he probably doesn't want to make the replacement refs look even you know, stupider than they already have been, so... Uh-huh. Uh, but, yeah, I guess... That's I very know, plausible, to be honest with you. I don't know if you. you think that's legit or not, but if you watch the replay, it, it really kind of looks like that might have been the case. Well, you see the head referee all the time if you watch any kind of... Uh, if you watch all of these games, they all, they're always fumbling with the with the signals. They're never quite right, or they always can't tell what they're supposed to do. They're using holding on the wrong hand, or... Mm-hmm. I, I forget who it was. It might have been the first game of the season, again, the Cowboys-Giants game, but... It felt like that guy had his own signals that he was using. Like, they were consistent every time, but they didn't look anything like what they were supposed to. Like, his delay yeah. of game looked like he was in a coffin with his arms crossed. And, I mean, I, I totally can see that as a plausible explanation for why he made that signal so quickly when he's so far away from the play to begin with. Yeah. And, you know, he runs up, sees that Jennings at that point has complete <laughs> control, and then calls it. So, you know, I actually think that might be a legitimate reason. And... My last one here, and this might seem like the most conspiracy theorist uh, one of them all for me here, is maybe a, you know just an upset Packer fan. But I've heard it talked about a little bit, but I haven't heard it talked about at all today. 
this the touchdown at the end of the game uh, swayed the spread into the favor of the Seattle Seahawks, mm-hmm. and these refs are making, I believe, under thirty grand for the season, something like that. Mm-hmm. How, how easy would it be for somebody to corrupt these refs? You know, we saw it in the NBA even, and mm-hmm. these are replacement refs. The one that made the call was refereeing high school football before he came here. How easy would it be for somebody to say, I'll give you this much money, you're not making anything this year? If you can somehow sway the spread at the end of the game, we saw the Sam Shields call, we saw that, obviously, what happened in the end zone, that changed hands, I saw on ESPN today, that probably changed hands about $250 million mm-hmm. switched from the people who had bet on the Packers covering the three-and-a-half-point spread as opposed to now it switched to the Seahawks getting yeah. winning the game, obviously. Yeah, that one, I mean, I've heard that too, and, and probably could be easy to corrupt some of these guys, um, but I just think that's ridiculous because an NFL game is so hard to fix. Um, it, to get it even to the point where you can have a Hail Mary at the end of the game, how impossible is that? I mean, it's, yeah. you're basically putting, if, if that was how you were, you're doing dumb luck anyway. It's not like Shoeless Joe Jackson where you can stand there and watch the ball go through your legs, um, which, you know, let's not get into that. But, but you know, I, I just think that one's a little... Ridiculous in my book. I, I would like to believe that's true, so that the whole thing just comes crumbling down. Whatever's going right now, but maybe I wouldn't like to believe that's true. But um, that there's no way that's true, in my opinion. Yeah, and I hope not. It, it just, you know, it, it's just something to think about. I, I, I really hope it's not true. And you would think that the NFL would have measures in place to make sure something like that's not occurring. But mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's at least something to think about with these guys making such little money that you know something might happen. And like you said, with the NFL, it's a little different than the NBA. A lot harder to kind of sway things like that, but mm-hmm. you know that Sam Shields pass interference penalty at the end of the game, and then obviously what happened in the end. But mm-hmm. you're right; I, I don't think that's the case, and I really hope it's not. But you know, it's just something to think about. I think more of a plausible reason is these guys are replacement officials. They don't have to really worry about their reputation. Before they took the field on Monday, it was destroyed anyways. Everybody thought they were a complete joke. They can't do their jobs. And they don't have any permanent future at the NFL level. And as a matter of fact, even if you're the worst replacement official ever, it's going to be pretty easy to get a Sunbelt job or a Division Three job having that, oh, I refed five NFL games. And I think people, referees, and I think the regulars get involved in this sometimes, too, that we've talked about. They get so caught up in the game that they stop thinking about it. They're just like, oh, my gosh, Hail Mary touchdown. How exciting. Touchdown Seattle without even watching the damn game. I mean, I don't know. I, I completely agree. This is That's not just a replacement ref thing. The regular guys do it all the time. Yeah. And one of the biggest ones uh, that bothers me, and I, I'm sure you'll know the guy's name, but I can't think of it. But the guy who makes the call, he'll say, like, holding, and he'll point kind of one way and then whip his arm back the other way. Oh, that's um, um, Mike Carey. Mike Carey, yeah. <laughs> that kind of really bothers me. It seems like he's, you know, a little bit of showmanship, which shouldn't really be, you know, what a referee is doing out there. And, <laughs> and that always bothers me a lot, too. Yeah. But but these refs, like you said, they can probably get a job in the Sun Belt. Well, this guy hasn't been able to. Yeah. Um, I heard today they were talking about this, that – uh, I think like eight of the guys from, or five of the guys, I think that are replacement refs got fired from the Pac-12 because they weren't good enough. I heard one got um, fired from the Lingerie Football League. Really? Yeah, that, that's been. Well, it was on Deadspin. I, I mean, they've been pretty accurate. Obviously, they report things in a little different style than your typical sports reporter. But, but it came from the Lingerie Football League themselves. I think the commissioner of the Lingerie Football League was the one who revealed the information that one of these guys had been fired because he wasn't a very good referee in the Lingerie Football League. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, it's on how that's been. 
apparently they didn't have to apply for these NFL jobs and they just kind of grabbed whoever. But because yeah. yeah, like I said, this guy who made the call was refereeing high school and Division three football before the call up. The guy who had made the touchback signal in the end zone was just I think refereeing pack. I think it was. Uh, I think it was Big pack- Twelve. Big 12, yeah, games last year. So, I mean, that's at least a little bit better. But it's, yeah. I mean, these guys aren't going to be getting college jobs most likely after this either. So, mm-hmm. Well, and, and they, especially now ESPN, uh, just at the 5 o'clock hour, had the, the names of the three guys that were responsible, the head referee and the two guys that were confused in the back of the end zone. Uh, so they're probably going to be blacklisted from a lot of conferences at this point. Yeah. Um, who knows if they even ref next week, to be quite honest with you. But. Um, it, it would be hard for the NFL to keep that under wraps. It would be hard to support your referee and say the call stands and then get rid of these guys. So they're almost stuck with the three that are most responsible. Yeah, it, but it, at the same time, you think it might be kind of hard to throw those guys back out on the field. You know, they, if you're in a stadium and you see those guys walking out, there's going to be, you know, mm-hmm. it's right from the get-go, you're going to be jumping on those guys if anything goes wrong. So, it, you know, it might even just be for their safety. Obviously, they aren't going to be refereeing another Packer game. Well, yeah, and <laughs> I... I I always like going to the Packer games, and to varying degrees, depending on who's around you and whatnot. But it's always a fun atmosphere, and I'm very curious to see what it's going to be like on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, I, and I completely agree. And you know, I think Lambeau is going to be really, really crazy on Sunday. And I think, I think if we if we kind of want to maybe sway away from the negative a little bit here, um, I think that this could really be something that propels this team and maybe gets them going a little more. Obviously, the defense has been mm-hmm. incredible the last two weeks, but the offense has been slow, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, the, the crowd's going to be insane. We're playing an 0-3 team, and, you know, they're going to be extremely fired up. At least you hope so. They don't come out, you know, in kind of a lull, feeling mm-hmm. still kind of depressed from this game or whatever, that they come out all fired up, and I kind of think that's what the case is going to be. Yeah, I think they'll, I think they'll be focused. Mike McCarthy is probably the most angry guy in the world. He probably went home and he, you know, kicked a window out or something, but he seems to be very good at keeping his cool. And uh, the fact that he made the guys come back on the field, um, if if this would have happened to Jim Harbaugh or if this would have happened to Rex Ryan or if this would have happened to Greg Schiano, who looks like a, a real good guy, I think they wouldn't have come back out on the field. They would have made him kick the extra point without anybody there. They would have all been fined a bunch of... Uh, a bunch of money, and so I think McCarthy is the right guy to have in place when situations like this happen, not that you ever expect them to happen, um, but I, I the, the thing I worry about, and I hope Packer fans don't get too carried away with this, because it is week three, I mean, I can't imagine what it would be like if this happened in a playoff game, or, or God forbid, the Super Bowl, because I mean... Super Bowl last year came down to a Hail Mary, <laughs> and it was a yep. pretty close one. So, I mean, that's not out of the realm of possibility, and I'm sure that's being talked about amongst the owners and, and uh, the commissioner's office today. But I hope that people, they can boo the referees and they can get mad at calls that they don't like, but I hope everybody keeps their cool because Green Bay has a really good reputation right now, and maybe that doesn't mean anything to anybody right now, but we don't want to be Philadelphia. We don't want to be throwing stuff at the referees at a bunch of profane chants. I mean, this game is going to be, because of what happened to the Packers and the fact that it's Packers-Saints, this is going to be on Fox, and it's going to be beamed to probably 80% of the country, and everybody's going to watch this game. Uh, So everybody who's there, do what you feel necessary to get out your anger from what happened last night, but don't destroy the, the reputation of Green Bay as a fun town to watch a football game in because we got screwed in one game in week three. I couldn't agree with you more. And that's one thing I wanted to touch on, too, here is, 
is I was sitting, you know, about a half hour after the game was done last night, just kind of reflecting. <laughs> and, um, you know, one thing that popped into my head that gave me chills, especially after that extra point, was just how proud I am to be a Packer fan. And mm-hmm. one thing that – I think the thing that really got to me was when when the guys were running out of the field, you saw a driver, you saw Benson, you know, obviously guys who wouldn't normally be doing that. Mm-hmm. But the thing that got me was MD Jennings digging around in the bucket of helmets, trying to find his helmet. This is the guy that just got his interception overturned mm-hmm. that would have won the game. And he is there with coaches by him. He's feverishly digging through the helmet bin, trying to find his helmet to get back on the field. And I just thought that was incredible. So, Especially since of, the biggest play of his career to this point, which especially he had two interceptions taken away from him last night as a mm-hmm. young player trying to get a starting job to have that kind of poise. Yeah, it, absolutely. And, yeah, you think about what was probably going through his head when he pulled that down and he had his interception. And, you know, when you make a play like that, your heart's just going. He was probably – it was probably the best moment of his life, and all of a sudden he sees the hands go up. But, uh, yeah, to see him come out and to have McCarthy or whoever it was get those players to come back out onto the field was just absolutely incredible to me. And, mm-hmm. like you said, I hope that, you know, Packer fans kind of feel the way I do. You know, obviously you're mad now, you're depressed. But we have an, a great team and a great franchise – you know, who's classy enough to do something like that. So, I, you know, if anybody's listening who's going to be at the game, you know, keep it that way and let's, you know, do what we normally do and have Lambeau Field rocking on Sunday. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better. Uh, moving back to the game a little bit here, uh, one of the things that I was saying with the, the people that I was watching the game with is that even before the Hail Mary happened and the Packers had just scored that touchdown to go up 12-7, to I was already looking around with my hands out saying, this game should not count. I don't know what you can do. It almost felt like whoever lost the game, it should be treated like a vacated college football win where the Seattle was 1-0 and and the Packers were 0-0 and in this game. Um, it, it just was so bad. That, that drive that the Packers scored a touchdown on was one of the biggest farces I've ever seen. Um, Jermichael Finley getting a phantom defensive pass interference committed against him, which looked like great defense to me. Then they call Greg Jennings in the end zone on a touchdown. They overturn it, which they should have. He was out of bounds. But then they take the first down away from him, which he clearly had. Yeah. And then the next play, Rodgers gets the first down, and they uh, Mike McCarthy challenges it, and they give him the first down without even measuring the new spot of the ball. <laughs> I mean, what is, what is going on? I, I don't understand that at all. It completely ridiculous and there were so many other calls that second Sam Shields uh, play was com- ridiculous I think it was Sidney Rice who basically threw him down uh, Charles Woodson had a very obvious face guard on the tight end um, I didn't think the the Walden roughing the passer was very bad because he went down on the legs so that one I'm okay with but what was it for each there had to have been like 20 what 25 27 penalties in that game yeah, I think there was 24 and don't forget about when Jennings got decked down the field oh my god as well, and you could tell he wasn't the same after that. After he scored what he thought was a touchdown, he just looked like he was in tremendous pain. And you never see Greg Jennings looking to fight somebody. He's no. always breaking up the fights. He doesn't want anybody getting involved in that. And he, he, they could not settle him down. He wanted to go on over to the bench and have a fist fight. And to think that these referees have lost so much control over the game that you can get a guy like Greg Jennings to want to just fight the other team and not even worry about playing football anymore... You have a serious, serious problem on your hands. Yeah, that was incredible. I saw him going after 
um, the DB there, and I was like, that must not be Jennings. You know, that must be somebody else, you know, kind of sticking up for him, but it was. And just the look on his face is something we've never seen in, you know, what, five years that he's been on the team, five or six years. It was mm-hmm. it was a little frightening, frankly, uh, to see him so fired up like that, but at an absolute cheap shot. And I, Oh, yeah. Nobody would disagree with that at all. So, no. uh, yeah, that was uh, that was one of the worst of all the calls last night, or no call, I guess. Does Seattle irritate you a little bit now? I mean, I kind of respect Pete Carroll's enthusiasm. We were kind of joking it like he's an old kind of like 50s high school coach, and he just always looks like he's like, oh, boy, touchdown, you know, like he's just so yeah. happy after everything. But, um, man, they, they just seem kind of – I mean, they're physical, but some of those – and, and some of the comments after the fact, I know they shouldn't apologize for winning, even if it clearly was a case where they should have lost. They shouldn't apologize for it. But to act like it didn't happen, and, and even Pete Carroll today said again, like, oh, it was, a, it was a tie, so, you know, we get it, we win. I'm just like, can you be that, like, do they realize how bad that makes them look? Like, yeah, and, you know, after the game, I immediately couldn't stand Russell Wilson anymore. I know, I felt, I felt kind of bad about that today, but, uh, no, I, apparently they didn't see the replay in the building. So I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt on that when he was sitting on the ESPN set and he was just completely unapologetic. From what Packer fans who were at the stadium said is they did not show the replay once on the Jumbotron. Okay, so yeah, I guess that maybe makes it a little better. Cause, and I also did hear that the Packers hadn't seen it until they got in the locker room and that's when they all were throwing stuff and, but yeah, you know Russell Wilson just sit, having him sit there saying, you know, oh what a great play that we made, and same with Golden Tate, you know, saying he didn't have oh. the pass interference, and then Carroll jumping around like a, you know, like you said, looking like a high school coach, and yeah, I mean they used to be before last night's game, I would say that they were probably my second favorite team, just because I, you know, I respected the crowd, I thought their secondary was was good, and Marshawn Lynch is fun to watch, that Russell Wilson, but I can't stand them anymore. Yeah. And I'm not mad at their fans. I don't think you are either, because we would have done the same no. thing in Lambeau. Oh but, yeah, but yeah, yeah. And you know, I and it's you know, it's, yeah. It, and they can't. They don't have to apologize for for winning the game, obviously. And I don't even, I don't even think I necessarily blame uh, Golden Tate for not owning up to the pass interference last night either. Mm-hmm. I mean, he didn't have to be so coy about it, but yeah. But yeah, they <laughs> they bother me now, and it it was. <laughs> It's going to be any team like that. You know, we hated the Eagles after 4th and 26, and we hate we still hate the Giants after they took us out twice in the playoffs. You know, it's... I not, hate the Cardinals, but not because they beat us in the playoffs, but because they had the audacity to get to the Super Bowl after winning one playoff game in <laughs> 70 years <laughs> as a 9-7 and seven team. Um, but, yeah, no, you're totally right. I mean, that's going to happen a little bit. But um, did you, by any chance, see the Yahoo article? I think Michael Silver wrote it was about Marshawn Lynch in the supper club after the game. No, I didn't. He had he was sitting there celebrating the win. I think there might have been some other players uh, with him and maybe some of his friends and family. And he had not seen the replay yet either. He was just out there enjoying his evening and being happy that they won the game. And he saw the play. And they're all dancing, or not, not dancing, but they're all just talking and having a good time, and he said they all looked when they finally showed a replay of it in the club that they were in, and they watched it, and the entire table went silent. And somebody at the table said, we didn't win this game. And nobody said anything. They said it completely like everybody was just somber after that. Um, they even observed Marshawn Lynch talking with some Packer fans outside of the, the supper club as he was leaving, almost in an apologetic way. Uh, talking about how the Packers would be fine, and you know, man, sometimes things like that happen. What what can you do as a player? Almost to the point where they felt horrible that they won a football game that way. Yeah, 
Yeah, well, that's that's nice to hear, I guess, at least. I mean, it obviously doesn't change the outcome, but you like when a player at least steps up like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, I've always been a big Marshawn Lynch fan, and I think he's, you know, he's running into some trouble, but he's fun to watch, and he seems like a good guy. So, yeah. you know, I don't know who else was there, but that's that's a pretty interesting story to hear. So, Yeah, I, I like Marshawn Lynch, too, ever since I saw the, the Kenny Main event with him uh, playing in Dave and Buster's, I think, was <laughs> when I started liking him, but... I guess let's take this to the, the macro meaning that uh, people have been discussing on, uh, especially sports radio today, is there's a dent in the NFL shield, and what's going to happen with these replacement officials? Is this going to be the the straw that broke the camel's back that finally gets the real referees back or destroys the NFL's image in sports? And I, and I know Steve Young and, and Trent Dilfer were talking a lot in that um, kind of tone after the game. Uh, I, I don't even really know what I think is going to happen. Honestly, I don't think much of anything is going to happen. We co- sit here and we complain, and people say that, oh, we're nothing but a way to get money. They don't care if we like it or if we hate it because we're addicted to it and we're going to watch it. I don't really think they care that much. Um, and to tell you the truth, I don't think it makes them villains. I don't think there's a lot of companies that really care all that much. I mean, they care some, but... Um, I think that's kind of the nature of the the beast, and I'm certainly going to watch on Sunday. I'm probably going to watch on Thursday now that Time Warner Cable has the NFL Network. Uh, I'm probably going to watch two or three games on Sunday, and I'm probably going to watch one on uh, Monday next week. So I, I don't really know if this means what some people are saying it means. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, I guess? I'm just kind of rambling here, but uh, what do you think is the grand meaning that is going to come out of this, if anything? Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think any, honestly. And, you know, listening to Dilfer and Steve Young talk last night made me feel a lot better, and hearing these guys rip the NFL a little bit made me feel really good at that time. But it, I don't think it makes any difference. I, I, You know, I've kind of talked about Goodell and kind of how I feel about his personality that I don't think – he seems like he is such so, so selective that he's not going to hear this as is. He's going to just keep telling himself, nope, this was right, this was right. It's just – I don't think this makes any difference to him. I, I really don't, and um, I, I don't want to get completely into it, but I don't know if you were looking at the Green and Gold page today on Facebook, and Caleb Pike had commented that, you know, this is kind of similar to what happened to boxing, whereas they started getting all these injuries, long-term health effects, um, and there was a lot of issues with the with the refereeing and the judges and everything, and that's kind of what started the decline. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if we want to look that deeply into this. Like you said, you're still going to be watching this weekend and Thursday. You know, I'll probably watch this Sunday. I think I can maybe go without watching Thursday, watching the Browns get slaughtered. But <laughs> yeah, I forgot that was the game. Yeah, but I, you know, I like to think that this is a wake up call for the NFL, but I don't think it is, and I don't think it makes any difference in the in the referees' negotiations. I just really don't think that this is going to have much effect at all on where that is right now and getting the regular refs back on the field. Yeah, and I I agree obviously, but I guess maybe the only the boxing analogy is very interesting, and I think that the only difference with that, and it's a big difference, is that certainly the the health issues are are a big issue for the NFL going forward. As far as the officiating, though, I think people are over exaggerating because this one game was decided decisively by the officials. I can't say that's ever happened in my memory, uh, ever. You have the tuck rule, you have that Giants uh, 49ers playoff game. None of those were directly caused right. by the officials. They were mm-hmm. indirectly caused by the officials, where a penalty could have given one team another opportunity to have won. But this was the only one I can ever remember where one bad call ended the game in the wrong uh, outcome. 
And so it's not like boxing where 60% or I'm just throwing that number out there, but it's a big percentage of your big-time prize fights are decided by the judges. I mean, th- that's completely different. So you can have corruption there because it directly affects the outcome. This is the only time I can ever remember in almost 20 years of watching NFL football where the referees directly uh, change the outcome of a game in the wrong way. So I, I don't think it's going to really happen. And I-, I don't know. The only thing that can happen that it's going to dent the NFL, and I-, I heard somebody describe it as jumping the shark like a television show, is that it could make people like you and I which I've kind of felt anyways because of various uh, reasons going on in the NFL the last like, few years. But if it makes people like you and I care just a tad less to where we slowly aren't watching two games on Sunday afternoon, one on Sunday night, and Monday night football, where all of a sudden, oh, it's Redskins-Eagles, I don't want to watch that. Or, oh, it's Colts versus Jags. Or, oh, it's Patriots versus Broncos. I've seen that game so many times because yeah. it's, it's just not going to be that entertaining. It's, it's, it would be a slow process. But if they keep having things like this and they completely show that they don't care, they could get people that really, really like football to start missing a game here and there. And then pretty soon you find other things to do on Sunday, and it becomes a part of your life instead of getting together with your friends to watch football. That's the only way it could happen, but I think they'll probably fix it before then um but i don't know what your thoughts are on that i don't know i'm i might say that i'm already a little bit at that point and i know it's the day after so i'm extra frustrated today but you know and it wasn't just the thing is i don't think it was just last night's game i was kind of feeling it last weekend and even the weekend before where a game you know i'd normally be like "Ooh, colts jags all right (laughs) but you know we're absolutely nfl fanatics and I'm watching football every Sunday or every night it's on, and I'm just kind of starting to feel, you know, a little bit frustrated and a little less interested, and it's just, I mean, like you said, maybe get fans like us a little less interested. I'm definitely less interested right now, and I I have been this season, so um, like I said, I might not watch Thursday, and in most cases, I would be sitting in front of the TV the entire game Thursday, regardless of if it's Ravens-Browns, you know, I would be watching that without a doubt. So I would say I might already be a little bit at that point. Well, and I think I'm more than a little bit at that point. And mine, mine's for a lot of different reasons. I think um, this offseason really did something to me that I, I don't know as far as my fandom. Because you know me, you've known a long time, you watch a ton of football games with me over the years. And I probably would have called in sick or I'd have moped around and been the most irritable guy in the world. And for the most part, I am over the fact that the Packers lost yesterday. It's, it's not, it, it bothers me because it was such a farce. But the fact that they lost doesn't really bother me at all. We sat in the stadium and watched San Francisco beat the Packers. And in previous years, I'd have been like, oh my god, all oh, this week's gonna suck. And I was just kind of like, oh, okay, the Packers lost. That kind of stinks. And it's because of, this certainly doesn't help. It's, it adds another cherry on top. I think the, uh, the, the concussions thing is destroying my interest a lot because it really makes me feel guilty when I see like what happened to Matt Schaub on Sunday. Right. I'm like, why? Why am I watching this all day for Saturday and Sunday when these people are getting their ears ripped apart and they're just getting destroyed? And uh, the same thing happened when I watched Vic play the Ravens the previous week. Just like, oh, this is just hard to watch. And then also the fact that I think they have too many teams and they have diluted talent. They talk, John Gruden talked about the players putting in so much time that they can't get cheated in something. Well, that's kind of the eureka moment I had watching the Giants walk off the field after beating the Packers in the playoffs, to go on a little bit of a tangent, where I sat there thinking, like, why do I 
let this one game dominate my entire week and change my mood for what it is when they're going to go 15 and 1 and they're going to play a team that if they were a college course 9 and 7 would have them fail the class and they're going to come into Lambeau Field and beat the best Packer team that we have seen perhaps in the last 50 years and beat them decisively why do i care for every regular season game when they don't really mean anything people are getting hurt and now they're not even playing by any sort of set of rules uh and so if they start adding all those things together Maybe I'm not watching Bengals versus Redskins. Or maybe I'm not watching Browns Ravens. Maybe I'm watching the Packers. Maybe I'm watching it like I watch baseball. Where I'm watching the Brewer games and then Phillies Nats, Athletics versus Rangers. I don't care. I could care less about the other 29 teams in baseball. And it's very possible that if it keeps going down this road in the NFL, I could eventually get to that point too. Yeah, and I think it's going to be a while for me to get to that point where I don't watch any random games. But I agree, I'm that way with the MLB, I'm that way with the NHL and the NBA too. You know, I have a really hard time watching random games without a team that I have specific rooting interests in. So regardless of what happens, I'm always going to watch every Packer game. But Mm -hmm. it could if things keep going this way, and I, I don't think the NFL will let that happen. But if things keep going this way that, you know, you don't care about those random games, which normally I look forward to all week, every week, you know, looking forward to Sunday, even if the Packers don't play. Mm-hmm. I remember us sitting around in high school watching, like, the 0-7 Bills against, like, the 1-6 Jaguars. And, like, a, and it was awesome. And it was awesome. It was, like, 10-7. to And and we just loved it. We could watch. And then even a couple years ago, sitting around on Christmas time watching a terrible Rams team take on somebody else. And it's just something fun that we love to do. But now, I mean... I, I wasn't even bothered that I couldn't watch the Thursday night football game last week. And now, I don't know, I'm, I might, Ravens-Browns, eh, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So I, I guess, I don't think this is going to be the, the bullet that kills the NFL, but it might be the uh, the infection that starts to slowly weaken the NFL, Yeah, uh, at least for me. And, and I think that the NFL's in a bad situation here with this Thursday night's game, too, it wouldn't be a big draw anyways, but I think a lot of fans are so frustrated that the ratings are going to be really low for it. So mm-hmm. I don't think that this you know, decisive blown call at the end of our game was the thing that might do it, but I think that if the NFL might get a wake-up call if their ratings are extremely low for this on Thursday, I'm hoping at least that maybe that's something to you know, wake them up a little bit, that people are actually getting frustrated. But you It's know, going to be hard I, with this one, though, because it's the first time that a Thursday night football game is going to be on Time Warner Cable. That's true. So they're going to get a huge bump in the numbers, even if less people are actually watching it. That's true. Um, But, you know, it's the last thing that you mentioned, it's a really depressing thought, is kind of thinking about, you know, we grew up with the NFL being the biggest sport in the world, or at least in the United States, and it's it's much bigger than anything else right now. But this happens to a lot of sports. It happened to baseball, you know, and it where things don't last forever, and it's kind of a depressing thought to think that, you know, mm-hmm. 20 years down the road, you know, when we have kids, and maybe they're not watching football anymore, and maybe it's not what it is now, which, you know, it's such a big part of, you know, NFL fans' lives that it's it's kind of hard to swallow that this might not, you know, last forever. We en- we've enjoyed it so much, it's it's tough to, to, to kind of take that reality, maybe. Yeah, it's weird to think of us being the old guy with the newspaper that's the only one that still understands why they print every box score from Major League Baseball games. Yeah. When I see that, and I'm just like, what? I'm like, who cares? I, they show, like, detailed box scores, and maybe <laughs> they don't do that anymore, but they've done that in recent years. Like, you just look, and you're like, oh, what did the... Does anybody open the paper that's under the age of, you know, 45, 50, that actually says, 
I wonder what the Giants and Dodgers did yesterday. Or, I mean, you know what I mean? Unless you like one of those teams or you're playing fantasy baseball or something. And it would be weird to think of us being the ones who actually care what the Bills and Dolphins did. Well, uh, all the kids are watching, I don't know, whatever exists then. High lie or something like that. <laughs> yeah. What about that one, uh, what's that basketball game with the trampolines that used to be on Spike TV? Oh, yeah, I don't know. Was it like Thunderball or Slam something? Ball. Was it Slam, Slam Ball? ball. Yeah, maybe yeah, they'll, be, right. they'll all be watching Slam Ball. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay, um, yeah, we're getting kind of long on this one, but obviously we have a lot to say. I think uh, one last thing that we should discuss uh, before we put week three to rest for a while at least, this one's going to be one of those defining games. For as much success going on, one last tangent, for as much success as the Packers have had, have we had the most heartbreaking like finishes through this this dominant streak that they've had since 1992. I mean, we got two Super Bowl wins, which is awesome. But we also have the catch two, and we have fourth and 26, and we have uh, the Aaron Rodgers fumble against Arizona, and then we have the Brett Favre interceptions against a whole bunch of different teams. We have the Hail Mary against the Pittsburgh Steelers. We have the Hail Mary against the Seahawks now that wasn't even a catch. (laughs) This is... I don't know. Why does it? I'm sure every team feels like this, but it seems like it happens to us a lot, and it's always on national TV. Yeah, and I mean we've had more of our share of ups than the majority of teams too, but there I don't even think it's close in terms of you know heartbreaking defeats and things like this happening for it to happen to other teams. Mm-hmm. You know, other teams are constantly down, and you know that's probably a little bit worse. But yeah, these big things like this and fluky plays, and you know. Bad plays, obviously, all the Brett Favre interceptions and all that, but it, I, I would say, even though it kind of seems like it may be just because we're Packer fans, but I would say that we have to have far and away the most kind of things like this. And, mm-hmm. you know, starting with probably Super Bowl 32 and then the next year in, in the wild card round and going all the way to present day to yesterday, it just seems like it's constant. <laughs> yeah, it would be nice to see them get blown out every now and then so they can go to bed early, you know? Yeah. <laughs> And one last thing about the reaction from yesterday, and and you maybe could throw your two cents in here. I I found a page that had uh, a bunch of tweets uh, from different players and things from yesterday, and I'm just kind of going to read some of these. Um, uh, Tavares Jackson says, wow, sad day in the league. Robert Griffin III, speechless after that. Uh, Parrish Cox, I'm not sure who he is. Is is the refs working for the Buffalo Wild Wings commercial? That's pretty good. (laughs) That's a good one, actually. uh, Roddy White says Roger has some explaining to do tomorrow. LOL. Hashtag please pay the refs. Chase Daniel. Wow, I don't even know what to say right now. One ref signals touchback and the other ref signals touchdown. Uh, Reggie Bush. Refs single-handedly blew this one. Stevie Johnson. Score one for the good guys. Way to go, Stripes. Always good seeing a fellow wide receiver get credit for a touchdown on an interception. <laughs> uh, Darnell Dockett, this is what the NFL has come down to And yet they tell you to respect the shield, LOL But they'll try to find us for everything we do um, And then, of course, the famous TJ Lang We got effed by the refs, embarrassing, thanks, NFL Yeah, that sure sounds like a bunch of guys who thought that that was probably you know, the right decision to not overturn that And that it was too close to call Yeah, clearly, I mean, clearly the rest of the league is on the side of the commissioner's office Yeah It's pretty clear um, did you see any of those? I know there was a lot of Deadspin articles and stuff. The, the best uh, fake article I saw, there was two of them. One was the Steve Young gets a concussion while trying yep, to... I read that one. <laughs> I think that was on The Onion. And then I saw the other one that says, uh, Jamarcus Russell aiming at coming back now that he realizes you can win by throwing an interception. Yep. <laughs> so, <laughs> did you see any other ones that jumped out at you? No, I think 
that's pretty much it. And I, I mean, I've seen a, a bunch of tweets and stuff today. I can't really remember any specific ones, but it seems like pretty much every player in the league who's on Twitter had a comment about about how bad it was. So, I mean, that's at least maybe a little comforting that they're getting support around the league. Yeah, part of me almost wanted the replacement refs to stick around for a while because if if you could actually get over the pain of the loss yesterday – it was hilarious, and like I've never seen NFL fans unified like this before, just completely just having fun at the expense of the league and just throwing a lot of clever lines out there. Players, fans, I, as stupid as it sounds, I don't think that players, fans, and uh, even the people who cover the NFL nationally have ever been so unified that yeah. it's almost kind of a refreshing thing to see everybody just kind of pile it on and get it all off their chest. Yeah, and I, I agree. There's there's never been anything like this where everybody's on one side of the argument, except for you know obviously the NFL, Roger Goodell. Every single person is on the side of is on our side, which is a nice feeling. Well, I think Golden Tate is uh, standing next to Roger Goodell. He he thought he caught it. That's probably about it. Even in terms of Seahawks, he's probably the only one that's still. <laughs> and Pete Carroll said today that the NFL stood behind them. He said it was quote cool. So <laughs> he would say that. <laughs> Okay, uh, let's talk about a uh, little bit about the rest of the game. Um, the biggest thing that comes out of the game, minus the final play of the game, is if Russell Wilson had thrown a good pass or a wide receiver for the Seahawks had made a clean catch, the top story on Sports Center would have been, what happened to Aaron Rodgers and his offense? I don't even know where to begin with that. Eight sacks in the first half, I mean, they were on pace to absolutely obliterate the single-game record for sacks allowed, which was 12. Uh, I don't think they got sacked at all in the second half. I was so angry watching. There was some where Aaron Rodgers had absolutely no chance, and there's others where he just holds the ball so long. And I know we talk about this a lot, and people have talked about this for five years, but I feel like Mike McCarthy has got to sit this guy down and say, Aaron, if you throw an incompletion or, God forbid, an interception, the world does not come to an end. You cannot get sacked on a third down. He get, they had five sacks in the first three drives. Mm-hmm. That's inexcusable. I don't care how bad your offensive line was because they were pressuring Russell Wilson the same in the first three drives for Seattle, and he didn't get sacked once because he threw it away on each third down. I know it's easier for me to say I didn't see downfield, but something had to be done between either McCarthy, the offensive line and their coaches, or Aaron Rodgers himself. Where Get rid of the damn ball. Yeah, and I will tell you exactly where I'm putting the blame on this. You know Rodgers is going to hold the ball. He's done it for five years. He's going to keep doing it. You know the offensive line is overmatched. How does it happen that Mike McCarthy waits till halftime, eight sacks later, to change the offense? You I thought five to, wide was a great defense for sacks. You don't have to go into halftime to call a different play. Every route, it seemed like, was deep, and he had Rodgers had no chance at completing a pass on these third downs. How, you know... You know, if I play, you know, Madden or NCAA football or something, if my quarterback's getting pressured, I'm going to start running screens or quick slants and not keep running a Hail Mary every play. <laughs> With double getting, moves on the end of it? Right. So as, you know, uh, as a, a big-time football fan and, and somebody who played a little bit of football, I know enough that you don't wait eight sacks into a game to start changing your play calling. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely inexcusable. And McCarthy today came out and said, you know, I should have done it earlier. Why didn't he? Yeah. Why was there not a coach on the sideline saying, you know what, Mike, maybe we should start running some slants, or maybe we shouldn't send four guys on a fly every play? I, 
I don't get it. He's a good coach. He's a great offensive mind. How is he not making this adjustment before halftime, which obviously then it got through his head. Mm -hmm. All right, I've got to start doing something different. Why did it take that long? Eight sacks is outrageous for one half, and it seems like it didn't sink in. You just saw him on the sideline standing there after everyone, like, oh, well, next play. (laughs) You know how he Um, coached? He coached like that guy you play in the dorms that doesn't play Madden and doesn't really watch football, and he calls like a Hail Mary shotgun pass on every single play, and no matter how many times you intercept him or sack him, he does the exact same one every single time, and just like, oh boy, you know, I'm going to try again, and throws it into triple (laughs) coverage. It's He coached like that. You can't have it. If you're getting sacked that many times, the the defense for getting sacked from a four-man line eight times is not... Five wide with double moves on the outside, <laughs> and, and and maybe that was that's too simplistic. But like you, like you described, you're completely right. What what is taking him so long? And that almost seems like a trait of the Green Bay Mikes that we've had as coach during our era of watching Packers football, where it just took them forever to finally realize that my offensive philosophy for this game is not going to work. I have to use something else in my bag of tricks. And all three of them had so many tricks at their disposal. Why does it yeah. take a whole half? You almost set an NFL record. They might, well, one Seahawk got four sacks in the quarter. Um, and that was, I think, an NFL record. So, I mean, you're already setting records. Just do something else. Yeah, I, I, and I they, didn't, they didn't establish the run game either until the second half. That's when they kind of decided to start going at that. And Benson looked awesome, so... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but you know, honestly, on some positives, I I thought there was a lot last night, to be honest. And uh, after the sacks, the second half was I was having a lot of fun watching that game in the second half. You know, until the end, the last few drives where the refs got really bad. But it was a nice defensive battle. Rogers started moving the ball a little bit, but the young secondary guys were playing really well. You know, MD Jennings obviously, Casey Hayward had a great game. Dron McMillan had that pick that got called back. Um, and I thought that was really, really promising to see those guys playing so well back there against, you know, a fairly decent offense. I mean, not world beaters or anything, but pretty good. Oh, and, McMillan uh, had that first sa- uh, first interception, huh? That that one that got called back on the uh... on the pa- yeah the rough. Oh, the okay. Pass. I thought that was MD Jennings too. Okay, I I alluded to that earlier. I guess I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a great interception, one yeah. hand to catch and. Um, but the defense was incredible. What has happened since week one? And you know, usually we can kind of pinpoint something, but I can't. I can't for the life of me come up with an explanation of what has changed since week one, why this defense is all of a sudden, you know, as good if not better than they were playing in 2010. I can't either, and it's obvious because San Francisco's a really, really good, oh, wait, maybe they're not that good. <laughs> I mean, they're they're decent, but, I mean, they're not any better than, say, you know, the last couple teams we've played on a regular basis, generally, so. They're, we're in the awesome super parody era of the NFL where whoever fumbles the least is going to win the Super Bowl, which is mm-hmm. real fun. Yeah, and whoever you know has the least guys on IR, and except, I guess, <laughs> yeah. with the exception of the 2010 well, Packers. But you got if you're going to have a ton of guys on IR, you got to do it before Week 10, and then you can win the Super Bowl. It doesn't matter yeah. after that. You just can't you can't get guys hurt in December. Otherwise, you're fine. <laughs> yeah, and one last note here I had for this game: it is time for us to make a change in our hail mary defense. Oh. What? Put your Michael Finley out there. No team in NFL history. I don't know this stat is true. I'm just saying because it, it has to be. In what is it? In the last four years, to allow three end of the half or end of the game oh. Hail Mary touchdowns. Yeah. That's unreal. How do you not change something? Put. I know we kind of saw it backfire on the Badgers with Jared Abradaris in the end zone against Michigan State last year. But but put your Michael Finley out there, or put a big body out there. Put somebody 
who is not going to get out-jumped by a guy who's four inches taller than he is. Mm-hmm. I mean, those guys don't have a chance on a jump ball. And obviously, Hakeem Nix is going to get up there over Jared Bush and catch a touchdown pass. I mean, you have to do something to defend that. You can't just hope that they don't catch it. Yeah, they might need to practice that whole whole play because I was thinking of that on the way home from work. I was trying to think in my head the last time the Packers scored a touchdown on a Hail Mary. And the last time I could was in 96. Do you remember when Favre had that kind of stumbling a weird throw to Freeman against the Bears. It wasn't the one that they always show. It was one of the other ones where they're all bumping into each other and he catches it. I think that was at the end of the half. That literally was the only time I could think in the time that we've watched the Packers that they've uh, caught a Hail Mary pass. Yeah, and that's 17 years ago, and we've allowed you know, three in the last four. What was the Steelers one? Was that in 2009? That was December yeah. of 2009. So four, in the last four years, we've allowed three, which is just unreal it's something it's not something you usually think of that you have to spend a lot of time on it's you're going to be having more defenders down there than receivers just knock it down but obviously something's going on that we have a huge problem with it yeah yeah i don't even and i don't even know how you begin to address that but yeah that's obviously three is a trend uh if you believe that old adage so um, the only thing i'm going to say about the offense is i was definitely encouraged to see them be uh, more effective in the second half I still, why can't they score touchdowns? Uh, they seem to be able to do whatever last year, and we said last week we're not going to compare them to last year, but in 2010 they didn't have problems scoring touchdowns, and 09 they didn't have problems scoring touchdowns. What did they get inside the Seattle 15 three times, and they got one touchdown out of it? Um, I mean, we have one of the most boisterous tight ends in the world that likes to talk all the time. He can't get open in the red zone. We have a huge six foot four wide receiver that can outmuscle anybody. You can't throw a fade to him. Um, I, I just I don't know. There's something right now that this offense can't seem to to get past about the 15, and that just is kind of concerning because it's week three. I mean, it's the season isn't over, but it's starting to get to the point where if you don't make these changes, this just might be who you are. And if you can't score touchdowns, um, you you can't tell me that all three of these defenses we played are all great defenses. Uh, that would be quite the <laughs> uh, quite the misfortune of the Packers to play the three best defenses in the league in the first three weeks of the season. I think they're all pretty solid, but certainly um, you're going to play better than that. And if you're going to have a chance to win, you're going to have to learn to score touchdowns on good defenses, especially if you're a team that went 15-1 and won and won the Super Bowl 18 months ago. So uh, hopefully they can figure out something to address that. Yeah, and again, I don't... I. I always love to be able to say, you know, what's wrong with it, but in this case, it, it's kind of hard to tell. You've got all these red zone weapons or people who should be red zone weapons, and it's just not happening. And we can't afford to kick two field goals getting down the field in, in those two situations, you know, in the early second half. So something's got to change. I'm sure McCarthy will look into it, and hopefully he'll come up with something, but it's it's been going for a while now. So, uh, like you said, something's definitely got to get done to, to fix that because that's a big problem, especially – going into a game where we're playing against one of the best mm-hmm. offenses in the league. Well, if they don't light up the Saints, I'm going to hit the panic button. Yeah, and, and I would completely agree there. If there's a defense you're going to put finally put some points up on the board against, it's it's the Saints. This is the defense to do it against. Is the team to get going against, and we absolutely have to score more than 12 points this week. That might be the best way we can wrap this up. Um, hopefully they can, the fans and the team, can all keep their composure, remain professional, and show the rest of the league that the Green Bay Packers are still a force to be reckoned with in 2012. Let's blow out the Saints, and let's represent the city of Green Bay and the state of Wisconsin in a professional manner for those who are going to the game. Um, I think that's it for me and Matt. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening to us. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. 
And uh, we did have some remarks on Facebook, but we're getting kind of long, so maybe we can read some of those uh, next week. We tried to respond to, to those on Facebook. But uh, please give us your feedback to this, and if you have anything else to say about anything going on in the NFL, which is basically just the Packers right now, uh, let us know on there. You can also hit us up on Twitter, at GreenGoldForever. That's Green Gold, the number four, the word ever, on Twitter. Uh, the same uh, name is also our YouTube page, which I'm going to start posting our videos in their entirety on YouTube as well, so you can hear the show there. And you can also go to greengoldforever.podbean.com for all of our archives and our full show. Uh, and that's the number four, correct? Matt, I believe that's the number four. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that is the number four. <laughs> so go on there and uh, and talk to us on there as well. And we're going to, like we always promise every week, uh, one of these days we're going to have some kind of other content on there. Uh, but for now, it's a great place to go to get our archives. Uh, so thanks, everybody, for joining us today. And I uh, hope you can take this one in stride and realize it's week three. we got 13 more to get it right. <laughs>